Okay, Pashki Saitse, we definitely don't have to look too far to learn something about uh, marriage, right? One of the sources for how to get married is in Pashas Kisaitse. So the Pusik says, Kikach Ishish Hadusha, right? How do you get married? And the Gemara Kedishan talks about three ways how you makadish Isha. One of them is case of Kedishan. And the Gemara asks, case of Minulan, how do you know that you're allowed to, that you get married in makadish Isha using money? And the Gemara says, we learn it out from a Pusik that says, by Avrumavini, Nusati case of Asudakach Mimani, Kikach Kikach Mizdai Ephraim. Avram Avini bought a field from Ephraim, and he it says Elushin and it means that he paid money for it. So that's from that uh, source where we learned that condition is also um, done with money, which is what we do. Shuvah case: if you give a ring, right, a man gives a woman a ring, and it's the reason why it's a good condition is because it's worth money. So I saw a beautiful word from Rishlam Lebavah. He said something very interesting. He said, "Why would we learn condition, which is the aside of a, a Yiddish Ashtib, the aside of Yiddish Aleben, and we're learning it from Ephraim?" The Pusik Mishlei says, Nivol Lahoin Ish Ra'ayin, and Chazal teaches in the Medrash that it talks about Ephraim. He was a Ra'ayin, an Imfagin, he was someone who, who didn't like when someone else had something. Why would we want to learn from Ephraim how to Shtelavak Yiddish Ashtib? And he says there are other places that we could have learned it from because we find by, by the Mishkan, for example, it says, Vlokachtu was case of Akapiram. We find other places where it says, Kiche Bamach Sashekel, it says, Yikhili Terim. We find other places where the Lushan Kiche is used for money that would seem to be much better, Makoiris. Um, to learn something about about um, getting married. He said something very interesting. He says that when, when Avrom Avini and Ephron uh, made this business deal of Arba Ma'ez Sheikl, case of Oivel Asoycher, so the Gemur in, in Bob says that Ephron, Ephron took took um, um, very expensive money, very chushiv money. Right? It was it was the the matbayas, the money that Avrom Avini was using was the most chushiv matbayas that there were. And Ephraim felt very lucky that he was getting such a good deal. He was getting over the real good, uh, real good money for this field that he could have gotten something simpler. Avram Vini, on the other hand, also felt very good about this. He knew that it says in Zohar Kudish that this was a Pesach Ganaiden. He knew that, that Udam and Chava were buried in the Murus Machpaida. Avram Vini went away feeling like a winner. He got the most chush of a thing that there was to buy. So we find something interesting by this Kichem is Ephraim that the way it was was that the buyer and the seller, the one that was buying and the one that was Taken, both felt, both went away feeling amazing. Neither of them felt gypped. Very often, when somebody's buying something, somebody's selling something, one of them feels gypped. One of them, the, either the moicher would have wanted to hold on to what he had, he just needed the money, right? The Murna Vedizura talks about that. Uh, you sell something to a guy, or he sells it to you, and, and really the moicher sometimes feels like, I, I wish I could have held on to that house. I needed the money, so I had to sell it. Or sometimes the buyer feels like, you know, I needed this, I paid for it, but really, I don't feel like I got such a good deal. In this case, everyone and everyone both went away, more of freedom. Both very happy with what they got. So he says the Chazal are teaching us and helping us understand that that's how it should be when people get married. You want to have a transaction of a condition where a man is taking a woman and they should both be feeling very happy. And that's what, you know, we always, uh, that they should both be feeling like winners, not like, okay, so this is what I got, you know, settling for less. And it's an attitude that we should all try to adapt, uh, feeling like a winner. And that's something that's relevant for everyone to, to think about. If they feel like a winner, if they could feel like a winner, if there are things that they should be focusing on in order to feel like a winner. And I think I just want to add, and relevant to the question that I'll be addressing, that kikach ish ishu, in this, in this sense, also means that both a ish and a ishu, both a man and a woman, who are getting married, should both feel like winners. You should feel like a winner if you're a man that's getting married, and taking a wife, and you should feel like a winner if you're a woman that's being taken by a husband. And this is something where people get confused about often. We just, I just spoke about this recently in the Yiddish class, and I see another question that I'll be addressing next week in the English class, Hashem, 
where people get very confused about the husband's role and the wife's role and the woman and the and the man and who's more important and who's less important who should be doing who for what and what for who again you should both be feeling like winners whatever place you're in whichever position you're in whatever your role is it, it's great and if you don't feel like a winner there's a problem there's a problem and that's something that we should be learning Taka from from Avram Vini and and Ephraim so let me let me read a question that somebody sent in and try to address it I, I hope it doesn't take too long um, sometimes I think that if only I would have more time to prepare, I'd be able to give shorter classes, more to the point. You say to speak, uh, to speak for an hour, you only need five minutes to prepare. To speak for five minutes, you need an hour to prepare. So you know, there's definitely a lot to say. I try not to be too long. So let me just read a question here and try to give some ideas. Hi, Rabbi Gruen, I very much enjoy Yeshurim. Thank you. There is a philosophical question on my mind that perhaps you can address either via email or during a shir. Okay, so here goes. To give you a little background, my wife and I have X amount of kids, and we live in this and this area. Okay, it might be relevant to understand the question, you know, which community this person is from, but but I'm not going to mention it. Um, in this day and age, it seems to me that women are expected to go out to work, sometimes as a sole earner, and take on a lot of the traditionally male responsibilities. Yet, in many ways, they're still expected to stay home and not have the same social and leadership responsibilities as men. What I hear people say all right about this topic is the woman's place is in the home. For example, last Saturday night, a few neighborhood shuls made him of Malka, and it was only for men and boys. One of the shuls even used the Pasuk I mentioned, um, letting women and girls know that they are not invited. Another example, why are Saturday night learning programs only for fathers and sons? Women have responsibility to learn another halacha as well. Unfortunately, there's very little emphasis or opportunity for women or young girls to attend shul and learn. In fact, in many of the shuls in my neighbor, the women, the women are upstairs and cannot even see what's going on in the men's section. They can only hear the davening. Therefore, for the most part, they don't attend shul, and I don't blame them. Why bother coming if you, can't, if you can just as well pray at home and have the same experience? I'm sure you can think of your own examples. Why does this double standard exist? If it were up to you, what changes would you propose? Okay, interesting. Um... Thank you very much for your time. If you would address it in the English here, that would be great, as I don't speak Yiddish. Okay. So let, let me let me um, just make the small introduction over here. Just to clarify, so that I don't um, come across and confuse anyone. This this shir that I give weekly is strictly about topics of Shulmbayis and Chinuch, which means either marriage relationships or, or relationships in general, but usually marriage and Chinuch. Right, which is also a relationship with children. A philosophical question, a shkufa question, should either be addressed to a competent roof, uh, you know, some rabbinical authority, or somebody who could give you some insight on this, or somebody who's uh, or on a platform where these things are discussed. This is not really my topic. However, this philosophical question that you're asking, even though it's a Yiddishkeit question, so a shkufa question, is definitely something that touches upon relationships and shulbais very frequently. Very frequently. I think that that's why it's important for me to address it and, and explain it, because I see, I see where people get very stuck on this. I see often, in this case it seems like it's a man writing about why there's a double standard for women. He's not being clear if, about if it bothers him or why it bothers him, or he's just looking for clarity. But I, I, do, I do hear this often from men that are expecting women to take upon themselves more um, male roles, expecting more of their wife. Why can't my wife uh, bring him more money? Why can't she do this? Why can't she do that? Especially when I see other women doing it and knowing that it exists. Um, or women sometimes are complaining why they can't be included more, right? Why can't I go to the Mlov Malka? Why can't I uh, uh, do something like that? 
or women being upset when the men are going out and doing something that men are supposed to do and they're wondering how come I have to stay home and he can go and things like that so this is just um, different examples that I see often so again I have no idea if the questioner himself is bothered by any of these or not or his wife is and that's why he's bringing it up but in any case I'm addressing it because I know that this is something that definitely um, makes relationships sometimes struggle a little because there's a lack of clarity as a matter of fact recently I was I was I'm talking to Ingeman he was quite resentful that his wife wasn't bringing him money okay so he has a job and he's working, he's trying to make money and make ends meet. And he wants to know why can't his wife bring him money? He sees so many other women in the neighborhood that are bringing home a, a second income. Now, it was interesting because I happen to know of people living in his neighborhood. Um, in two situations where two people mentioned how jealous they were of the dynamics of his home, both a woman who was jealous of his wife who could sit home and either take care of the kids or relax or whatever it was and not have to go out there. And then a husband who was actually jealous of what's going on in his home, because look, you know, he goes out, but his wife is taking care of the kids and cooking, and when he comes home, everything's ready. And my wife, when I come home from work, she comes home from work, and then nothing's done because she was working all day and things like that. And there's something I see often, that there are people that could be jealous of other people without even realizing how jealous people are of them. But in any case, that, that wasn't the point. The point is that um, definitely, this definitely becomes a relationship issue when people don't understand what's a man supposed to do, what's a woman supposed to do. Is there a double standard? Why is there a double standard? Things like that. Um, and, and one more thing that I, I want to mention before we talk about the issue itself is that the double standard if it's something that we're expected to understand or to deal with or if there is one is one thing but sometimes people have their own double standard and that's something I do want to address up front in other words sometimes people will pick and choose which standard they want to use right now do I want to use the standard of a woman supposed to be at home and tell my husband listen I can't go out my, my place is at home I don't know what you want from me but then when I want to go out and I'm not just talking about going out of the home in a uh, physical sense I'm saying in general there are people that they, they you know you're trying to have the best, best of both worlds when it comes to taking a job well it's your job I'm, I'm not supposed to be making money and things like that when it comes to other things well who said maybe maybe we should be doing this together why is it falling on me all of a sudden and, and that's where some people get confused um, somebody was complaining to me recently about how his wife almost doesn't leave the house literally very stuck at home um, avoids going to Simchas avoids going to events, avoids going to family gatherings and things like that. And always with different excuses about why she's not comfortable leaving the house. But then for whatever reason, when she decides that she wants to go, and I'm not going to go into the reasons that he shared with me when, when and where she wants, she does decide to go, all of a sudden, like it's a whole different issue. Similarly, I heard someone say, and again, I, I, I don't like when this sounds like I'm using it against women necessarily. I'm just giving these examples that I hear uh, often. But a guy who, when his wife wants that he should go out at night to buy something, She'll very clearly say, well, you have to go get it. Why? Because it's nighttime. A woman doesn't go out at night. And then the next night, she's not home. She's doing something else all of a sudden. She's going having fun all of a sudden. She goes out at night. So, you know, the double standard, whether it's there or not, is one thing. But don't, don't make your own double standards. And same thing with men. I mean, definitely men who have their, their own standards about uh, you know, when they should be doing what. And then using it to their advantage when they want and when they don't. And to their own benefits and things like that. So that's definitely something that should not, should not be used against anyone. You know, because you decided to make a double standard. That's, that's for sure not. If there is one or not, we'll discuss. But you know, coming up with your own double standards is definitely hypocritical and something that could, def- that could be taken wrong and challenge a relationship. Let's say that much. Now, let's, talk, let's go back and talk about the double standard. Okay? Is there a double standard? Are women supposed to really be men and then they're expected to be women again? Or they're not supposed to be men in the first place? And then why are we asking things of them? And this is something I mentioned very often. I'll, I'll keep on mentioning because I see it keeps on coming up and people ask about it and I'm just giving my own opinion about it nobody should be offended by it or, or be afraid to check it by their own Dastoja 
But the way Hashem created this world and the way He created men and women, the way He created relationships and the way the world runs is that there's a man and a woman. And men are not women and women are not men. Whether you want to see it as a pilot-co-pilot relationship, and then some people don't like that because the co-pilot is relatively less significant than the pilot, and the president is significantly more important than the vice president, right? Well, first of all, maybe. Maybe that's how it is. I mean, if that's how you see it. But not necessarily so. The point is that everything in this world is set up in a way that um, you know, there's different responsibilities, different privileges, different, different positions, and that's how things work. When people, when people keep on trying to challenge us, it doesn't, go, it doesn't work. There are relationships that are on a basis of let's take turns. In other words, now you're up front and I'm in the back, but then tomorrow I'm up front and you're in the back. There are things like that. I'll give you an example. You have a chazan davening in a shul. Right? He's, he's standing by the umid. He's, he's leading the tefillah. He's leading the davening. If he goes fast, everyone should technically go a little faster with him. You can't, they can't stay behind if he's already finishing. If he's going a little slow, that's it. You might not like it, but you know, he's, he's, he's running the show today. So for today, he's the one running, you're the one following, he's the driver, you're the passenger, and tomorrow you'll be the driver. So for today, you have to realize that it's him, not you, and then tomorrow will be your turn. That's fine. Then you have relationships, for example, that also, you know, let's, we could say it takes turns, but not, not really like a chaznana and a tzibur, for example. Um, you have a parent, and you're a child. As young as you are, and the younger you are, the more a child you are. You have to take authority, you have to listen, you have to comply. You'll have your turn. You're not going to have your turn to be your parent's parent. You're not switching with them, but you can have your turn to be a parent. You can have your turn to have a child of your own. So in some part of your life, and in some relationship in your life, even when you do get older, you're a child. In some part of your life, in other relationships, you're, you're, now you're a parent. There are things that, that evolve, and there are things that change. And, things, and then you have certain things in life where Hashem set things up in a certain way, and they don't change. If you're born a Kohen, or a Levi, or a Yisrael, that's how you're staying. But it's not fear. Why does the Kohen get the privilege? Why Vikidashte? Why does he go first? Why does the Levi this? Why do, why do I only get the third Aliyah? Why? Because that's how it is. That's how it was made. But it's not fear. It doesn't have to be fear. It doesn't say that it's going to be fear. It doesn't say it's not fear. Again, the Kohen has to do work for you, right? He's doing work in Basmigdash on, on your behalf. And you're giving him money for it. And you're giving him uh, whatever Matnaskuni you're giving for him. Anyway, there's a way things work. And sometimes men are going to be the men, and women are going to be the women, and sometimes people just won't like it, and that's how it's always going to stay. And as much as people might want to, want to you know, challenge this, it's always good to remember that being Eden and Elohim, Eden and looking at the Torah, there are certain things that won't change because the Torah is not changing. So in society and culture, things change. Whatever's up today, there's no way of knowing it's going to be up tomorrow. Right? I mentioned this last week in the Yiddish year. You know, a hundred years ago, you would have asked someone, you know, whites and blacks, again, I hate using that example when I'm talking about men and women, but I'm just saying, colored people, right? A hundred years ago, Maybe people would not have uh, imagined that there will come a day that a, a black, a Schwarzer will become a president. But you never know. You never know. Maybe in 100 years from now, you have little kids becoming president. Maybe, I don't know. You don't know where culture is going in society. But Torah is not changing. That's what us Eden, we have what to look at, we have what to base things on, and, and it's not changing. So we can definitely keep on looking into the Torah and keep on figuring out what we're supposed to be doing. And very often we'll notice that today's society, today's culture is not in agreement with what the Torah teaches, and we know where we're supposed to be, uh, what we're supposed to be following. It's, it's, it's not a question. There are a lot of secular ideas that are infiltrating into our society and our culture. And the closer we are to those secular communities, and the more uh, we associate with them, the more we learn from them, the more we have to do with them, the closer we are, then the more we'll, have, we'll be challenged by things that they teach. That's not a question. The, the communities that are more isolated and further away from the secular culture are less affected by ideas that are coming from secular culture. That's, that's, that's not a question. And in today's day and age, it's clear that, that you know, talking about women and men, 
um, what you're mentioning, that women are, so to speak, expected to be like men and have men responsibilities and be able to be breadwinners and be able to be leaders and things like that. In today's society, that's, 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 that's there, right? You never know. You could have a, a, a next president might be, might be a woman. Tried already, didn't work, but it might happen, right? So if it might happen, then if that, if that um, makes its way into our communities, then, then we're going to be dealing with that challenge of being tempted to follow that idea. And then there's a double standard all of a sudden. I heard this once from a, a speaker, somebody helps people show bias, and he was saying that in days of old, he was talking about his grandparents, in days of old, there was no such thing as, as the woman challenging the man about certain decisions. He was talking about his own grandparents. His grandfather came home one day and said, okay, um, next week we're moving. What, what's that? Well, his, his panusa, whatever it was, is, is not, is not shy over here anymore. He has to go there. And that was it. His grandmother packed up the house and went after him. He said, today there's no such thing. A man comes home and says, we're moving. I mean... He, she, she could clearly say, and I heard this recently from somebody else who told me something, a similar statement, that his wife would definitely say, go ahead, move, go, bye. <laughs> he, he said, his, this, this person was saying his grandmother needed his grandfather. There was no such she couldn't support herself. There was no such thing. Today, women are more self-sufficient, and that's why so many challenges come up. Now, I'm not saying that the idea that the Torah wants is that a man should make all decisions and his wife should just run after him. I'm saying that in general, there was a certain dynamics that definitely is being... Um, challenged very much by today's society and it's causing a problem. It's not a question. Now, are women really supposed to be men? Is the Torah actually asking for that? I mean, there's an idea, again, I don't know in which circles or communities this will be well taken, but in Sanz, Sanz Ruzchanrucha had a, had a thing about women not coming to Shiel. He said a city that will close up the Viber Shield, they won't have a, a women's section. I don't know what he, what he promised them. Now, the, the point is not to keep women away from the shield. The point is that sometimes women belong at home. I'm not saying they shouldn't go down. I'm just saying that in, I don't think you'll find in the Torah that women are expected to be going to shield like men and having that kind of uh, obligation like men. Women's obligation is to be raising children at home and that's where they belong. Are they allowed to come to shield? Of course they're allowed to come to shield. You know, very often fakir, there's the women's tfilis and, and things like that. I'm not going to... But, but where do they belong? Now, if a man has a child who needs who needs to be tended to, but he has to go daven, his responsibility is to go daven and find someone to tend to his child. When a mother has young children, and they have to be tended to, her obligation is to be home with them and not go to shul. So that, that's, not, that's not a double standard. That, that's just knowing who belongs where. The fact that sometimes maybe she'll be expected to do other things, that, well, you have to know who's expecting that of her. So that's definitely something. Now, when it comes, let me just talk a little more about, about the, the shul and about the Yiddishkeit um, aspect of this. In today's politically correct world, right, when a woman asks, maybe in a Kirov class or in different, uh, different places where a woman will ask the question, why is it that women have less obligations? Why do they have less mitzvahs? So in today's politically correct world where we try to give everything a very nice and sugar-coated explanation to make sure it doesn't sound like they're any less important or any less, uh, I don't know, obligated by mitzvahs, we're going to come up with a very nice explanation. And there are nice explanations out there, actually, um, trying to explain why a woman has a different way of serving Hashem and because it's different than this and that. Again, they're beautiful, they're beautiful explanations. I know many of them. I heard many of them. Um, if they make people feel good or if they're at least addressing what the question is really asking, I make, that's fine. But I think so much of it starts with a certain given that really men and women are equal. And if that's the case, they should be all doing the same thing. So how come they're not? Well, we'll come up with an explanation that will, so to speak, um, address the question in a way that won't make anyone feel offended. Again, it's just not the way it is. Hashem asked certain things to be done by Kahanam, certain by Leviim, certain by Yisraelim, certain by Jews, certain by non-Jews, certain by adults and certain by children, and certain by male and certain by female. 
Where are you starting? In other words, are you starting with a given that really everyone's the same and then you're looking at the Torah and getting confused? Or you're looking at the Torah and seeing how it's broken up and how it's, uh, you know, how each, each one is addressed and you're saying, oh, so that must be how it is. In other words, there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing to question anymore. Why? I don't know. That, that's how Hashem, that's Hashem decided. And what do you do if one day children become a little smarter and more uh, open to the world and start questioning, how come children aren't obligated? And you start explaining to them, well, because children have a very sincere and um, innocent way of serving Hashem. They don't need mitzvahs. Well, what type of nonsense is that? If it's because, uh, uh, you know, you have to be a bardas, and because whatever it is, you have to have, uh, whatever it is, then that's what it is. So we look in the Torah and we try to figure out why it's like that. Now, now we've, we have our ideas and try to figure out the Torah. It's something that, that very needs, uh, uh, very often gets... I see people making this mistake often. Yeah. Uh, 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 somebody will ask, why does a president have to have so many people around him? In other words, it can't be that he's more important than me, so why do I go myself? Well, you know why? Because a president needs people to watch over him, to make sure he's not doing anything wrong. No, he's going around because there's a certain chashivas that he has, which uh, dictates that he's surrounded by a lot of people who are giving him COVID all the time. I wish you were the president, but you're not. Anyway, again, I don't, want, I don't want to make it sound any way that women are less, but it's the Torah that dictates what yes and what not. So the Torah says that a woman will not, will not be a melech Yisrael, will not be a king. No, nope, no such thing. She will not be a ruv, a rabbi. No, nope, no such thing. The Torah doesn't do that. She will not be a nusi, be Yisrael. You know, be a leader or sahedr. No. Now you want to know why? Well, you could either accept the fact that maybe it has to do with the fact that Dat and Kalas Alayim, they don't have what it takes, or they don't have what... Or Hashem just didn't want them to do those roles. He loves them dearly, but He still doesn't want that of them. He wants them to do other things. But whatever it is, the Torah is teaching you where they belong. So the Torah is telling you when the men are supposed to daven and when the women are not obligated to daven. That, that's what it is. Don't be offended by it. If the Torah is teaching you that men are supposed to be sitting and learning Torah as much as they could, and women just have to know the halachas that's, that's um, relevant for them, and they don't have to be learning all the time, and they don't have to be teaching their children Torah and things like that. Don't get offended by it. Just, just, just take it for what it is. Not, nothing bad. Nobody means anything, anything um, you know, to, to see it wrong. And I think it's so important to get it right and to accept it. Maybe I'm saying it because I'm a man. I don't know. I think today there's so much resistance to just saying it the way it is. We don't teach chasanam and kalos anymore. You know, the way the Torah sets up a husband-wife relationship, it's all about being equal, understanding each other, being nice to each other. I don't know, there's something about teaching respect and teaching what it means to respect a husband and for a husband to take care of a wife. And, and there's, there's different obligations for a husband and wife and wife to husband because different things that they're doing in this world. Who's the wise man? The one who knows where he belongs. So anyway, this is something that for some reason people just you know, try to challenge the structure because they're not because of a certain uh, um, resistance that they have to, to certain ideas. Now, interestingly, when we look about, when we look at the, let's call it more the, the real reasons or the certain explanations given for why women are put of certain mitzvahs, it actually has a lot to do with the dynamics of marriage. And it's something very important to understand. A, ma- a single man and a single woman may not have been as much um, differently addressed in terms of Torah mitzvahs, if not for the fact that in, in the relationship of marriage, that's what really makes a big difference. So I'll, give, I'll just mention two given explanations. One is the Avidram, Pakanta Avidram. It's well known in Bechsa Mitzvahs. He talks about the fact why women are put from Mitzvahs as Rizman Groma. Anything that has a certain time frame when it's supposed to be done, women are put Why? So he says, if you show Hashem wanted that a woman should be ready and committed to help her husband doing what he wants of, of her. And if she would be Mechiv, if she would be obligated by Mitzvahs as Rizman Groma, then what would she do if her husband's asking her to do something and Hashem is asking her to do something and she would be a little torn? She's listening to Hashem, that she's, she's violating what she's supposed to be doing to her husband. 
And if she's listening to her husband and she's violating it, so Hashem says, you know, let me set it up in a way that the woman is always free and ready to serve her husband. Very interesting. I don't know if that's politically correct, but it definitely says something about the way Hashem wants it. In other words, it's not only that the, what He's asking of each person is because this is what I want from you, this is what I want from you. No, I want you to understand and learn from this what it is that I really want from you in terms of your relationship with your husband. There's another uh, Arizal over here, Kant Arizal, who says that the reason why there's a reason why women are not obligated in Mitzvah Sashas Van He says it's because the man is doing it for them. And there's also a very important concept which has a lot to do with, uh, with the whole idea of men and women. Right? A, 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 a man and woman getting married, it's a plug for you're only half until you get married, you're one soul coming together, not two, you're one. And the part of this one soul that's supposed to be doing a lot of these mitzvahs is the husband. And the wife is the one that's helping him do it for them. So it's not like you're doing it, I'm not doing it, we're both doing it. Which ones of us are doing it? When we're driving in a car, we're all going to the same place. One is driving. Now, sometimes you need a guy in the back to push the car. So we're both helping each other do it by you, by you doing the mitzvahs. In other words, it's not me against you. It's us together. And in this us together, you're the one doing it, and I'm the one helping you do it, and I'm feeding you the information, or giving you the ability, or helping you with the strength, or the encouragement, or whatever it is, to help you do it for us. So again, this is not, this is not me against you, this is us. And that's just so important, and, and I think that this is where people get confused when it comes to marriage as well. Us means that we're one, and if we're one, then we're not against each other, we're, we're, we're fulfilling two parts of a complete thing. If we both be equal, and both be able to, to do the same thing that we're, not, that we're not us anymore. We could just be doing it on our own. And this is something that, that's so important. And, and, and understanding how it works with men, with men and women, it's not just splitting it up. It's a certain thing, the way Hashem wanted, the man and the woman, the man running the show and the woman, woman serving his needs, and the man taking care of the woman. Not in any way better, worse, or more privileged or advantaged, but there's something about it. Even in Aloha we find, also we see where the Torah agrees with all these ideas, and, and the Torah is working around it to make sure that, that, it, that it doesn't... Um, Disturb a Yiddish home. The look is whether it's in Kippur or Tishabov when you know how to wash your face, and all of a sudden you find that a kala or somebody in Chashabas you find that about going out with, with uh, about about wearing jewelry and things that might be a shaila, but we change certain halukhas to make sure that a woman will find favor in her husband's eyes. We don't find that the man is allowed to dress a certain way that's really a shaila or do a certain thing because he's trying to find a favor in the woman's eyes. It, there's a way this is set up. There's a way it's set up. Now, the fact that she's trying to find favor in his eyes, it means that he should be acknowledging it and noticing it. I mean, it goes, to, it goes without saying. If she's trying to find favor in your eyes, then how can you not noticing it? When she finds favor in other people's eyes, they notice it. If you're not going to give her at least, at least as much attention as she's getting from other people, then maybe it will be a little harder for her to commit to finding favor in the right person's eyes. I'm not saying that not. But the Torah is definitely even, so to speak, twisting certain rules so that this dynamic of man and woman um, are set up right. So, so much of that has to do... So, the second we get ideas from the secular world about, about women being just like men and everyone's equal and things like that, it, it's definitely disturbing the basis of a Yiddish home and definitely something about uh, you know, people not figuring out what, what, they're, what they're really supposed to be doing. So, that's, that's also something very, very important. So, there's nothing wrong with being uh, right and left. None are more significant. You, know, you, look at a, you look at a car, you have, you have right and left tires. Imagine if the left tire wants to be on the right side. Uh, the car will, well, the car will start wobbling. Uh, you can't do that. I remember as a child, I'm sure many children go through this, um, seeing a garbage truck with two steering wheels and wondering what happens if they each turn the wrong direction. Right? Now, obviously, you get a little older, you realize that they're, they're alternating and they can't, they can't be both driving at the same time. But, I mean, that's what happens when a man and a woman are both trying to steer the wheel of a home. And uh, it's not going nowhere. There's something about how Yiddish is set up. 
and like I started off with, Kika Cheshish, we're both being happy with their role, knowing what it is. So let's, let's get a little more practical here. When it comes to running a home, when it comes to obligations, Darke Shal Ish, the Chazal teaches, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the tendency of a man to go and bring Panusa, to be a breadwinner. That's his responsibility. When you write a exhibit, it doesn't say we're going to make sure there's enough money at home and we're going to agree on this, we're going to take this. No, it's the husband's responsibility to bring Panusa. It's not the wife's responsibility. So many times I hear, I hear, and that's where that's where the kolkoid was made of panima is. You know, she she belongs at home. She's not supposed to be going out making a livelihood. Now, if it's necessary and there's not enough money, and she can do it in a good way, and when everything comes, of course, it's wonderful when she can help out. But if her husband's going to use against her the fact that she she could bring her money, why is she sitting at home? It's not her obligation. It's very it's very important to to, to you know to, to to realize this that of course she's allowed to leave the house, she's allowed to get fresh air. The point is not to be locked up at home. The point is just to know who's supposed to be doing what. So if you have a coil life, for example, coil life and coil wife, who's supporting her husband for his limitatoida and, and being maxed, that, that's beautiful. If she wants to, again, if it's done the right way, it can't be imposed on a woman and say, well, you have to bring the panos because I'm sitting and learning. That's not what you wrote in your exhibit. You're going to sit and learn. She didn't give you exhibit. She's supporting you. So again, is this, a, is this an advantage? Is it a, is it a COVID? What is this? This is, this is how Hashem set up a relationship. The, hus- the husband has responsibilities and he should be doing what he could about it, not, not putting them on someone else. On the other hand, the housework, and this is something I spoke about last week at length, right? the, the woman is supposed to be a carer, a bias, taking care of the home. If, she's, if he's coming off from work after a full day and she's dumping everything on him because I don't have koyach anymore, and all of a sudden he finds himself bathing the kids, putting them to sleep, calling the teachers and rabbis, and doing homework with them, I don't know, maybe it's right, maybe not. Okay, we each have responsibilities, and, and it's fine to, uh, you know, somebody was just telling me, he's bathing his kids every night after full day work, um, because of that, he can't really go out to learn because she doesn't let, because now he has to put them to sleep. But when he puts them to sleep, she's busy screaming at him, his wife, why he's doing it his way and not her way. I mean, this sounds a little ridiculous, I think. Uh, I'm sure if I would ask her why she's saying that, she would come up with a lot of explanations. But, you know, there's something to think about. So somebody says, well, why do I have to cook this supper for us? I'll cook it some nights, you cook the other nights. A husband has his and a wife has hers, and, and together they're doing a full job. We're not getting married just to see if we could uh, tolerate someone else. We're getting married to complete uh, a full picture that I think is very important. So, again, the double standard that you're talking about, I think, has a lot to do with society and culture changes and ideas, which are not necessarily accurate. Um, the fact that men are doing a certain, you know, certain things, whether it's in shul, or whether it's with children, or whether it's at home, this is how it always was. I once heard this from Rabbi Simon Jacobson. When people are young, they, they think that they're going to turn over the whole system, just make a, a new one. They get a little older, they realize, okay, it's no use, it's just going to stay the way it is. They get even older, they realize, oh, the way it is is really the best that it could be. People who try changing things definitely will come up with a question of, you know, why now, yeah, why now not? Like, how come here I'm expected to be a man and here I'm expected to go back in the back seat again? But when you do things the way the Torah says, and again, like I said, women can make a lot of money, they can do a lot of good things when they, when they could and when they should, the point is, but the point is just remember who, what belongs to who. Where, where is your responsibility? Right? If, you, if you're a woman and you want to be out all day with some fancy career and come home and, and not have time for your, for your home and your family and your husband and your children, there's a problem to that. As a matter of fact, you know, Chazal, Chazal teaches us that um, you know, part of Nushim and Ma'ikazachim, part of the reason why they're getting schar is because they're they're waiting at home for the husbands to come home from Bismedish and greet them properly. Right? They're getting schar, and we should be mechabed a woman because she's raising our children for us. Because she's um, helping that we shouldn't sin. 
they're serving a certain purpose by helping the husband do his, and this is the two parts of a whole. So who gets credit, right? She's getting credit for whatever he's doing. So is she less significant? She's making it happen? Is your gas tank less significant than your steering wheel? You know, one is helping something else do its job. This is just um, you know, two parts of a whole. You know, there's that old statement, which today I don't think would be, I don't know, maybe they would, they would rip down the signs because it's not anymore correct. The old uh, saying that went, behind every great woman, behind every great man, stands a great woman. Right? That's how it used to be. So a great man, uh, you could assume he had a great wife helping him. Today, why is she standing behind? I think it's the other way around. Behind every great woman, maybe stands a great man. I don't know. Somebody once told me a, a cute line, that behind every great man stands a great woman, and behind every even greater man stands a really difficult woman. Uh, you know, sometimes the greatness of a man is that the fact that he could tolerate a difficult woman. But anyway, the point is that yeah, that's how it used to be. Behind a great man, whether it was a great ruv or a shashiva or some, someone doing a lot of good things, you could assume there was a, a great woman behind him helping him. And, and this is why I want to go into the last part of this, which is that the, the woman is not only standing behind the man, even though in these um, examples that we gave, she's standing behind the man, helping him do his thing. But there's a lot that a woman should be doing on her own. So much of, of and this way women see themselves sometimes as managing a house, and they get very resentful. Right? You're out a whole day, you're this, you're that, you're a social circle, whatever it is, and I'm managing the house. You're not a plumber, and you're not a manager. You're running a home, not a house. And if it's a house, not a home, then there's something wrong. It should be a home. You're raising a family. You're not just tending the children. You're not, a, you're not a housekeeper. You're raising a family. You know what that means? That means that any one of your boys that will one day be a great man had a great woman standing behind him. That was, that was his mother. The means that there's so much of the Torah that you have, so much of the Yisoydis and Yiddishkeit that are coming from your mother. And if a mother doesn't have time for her children because she's doing other things, then, she, then her kids are losing out. Who's raising them? Who's giving them Yerushalayim? Who's, who's setting the tone in the home if the husband's out all, all week or all day or whatever it is, if not, if not for the woman? She's serving, she's serving a major purpose. She's not only helping her husband. There are things, there are topics, there are areas in which she's helping him do his. But then there are so many of her own things that she's playing such a significant role. And it's not only that. When it comes to raising children, it's not only that the, the woman is home, so she's supposed to be raising the children. There's something about motherly love that's, that's so important. Right? We find in the, in the Pusik, um, Chazal teaches, Higdim Kibid Av La'ayim we find that when the Torah is teaching us to respect parents, it talks more about respecting your father first and then your mother. But when it comes to having moira, fear of them, it talks about first the mother and then the father. Why? Because naturally it's the other way around and the Torah is teaching you to keep it that way. In other words, there's a certain um, kindness and softness and gentleness that a mother has to a child. And that's why a child might not be so fearful of a mother. And there's a certain harshness that a father has, and that's why a child might choose not to be so respectful of the father. And that's why Terry's teaching you, no, 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 when it comes to respect, make sure your father comes first, even though you might be, tem- might be tempted to respect him less, you know, because maybe you're intimidated, let's say, and you might be tempted to not be so fearful of your mother because she's so kind to you and so nice to you. And Terry's teaching you to balance that out. But it goes to show that there's something about the way Hashem made it, that mothers have that um, gentleness and that motherly love. And when children are missing that, it's terrible. I hear this often from people complaining about me. I wish my wife would have more time and smile and whatever, and I'm trying to cover up for that and things like that. Or the other way around, where women are complaining, I wish my husband would be more, have more authority on the kids and be teaching them more. Again, everything has to be understood and taken well, but the point is that there's something about what a mother is doing for children that nobody else could do. That's a very important role. That's not something to be resentful about or, or feel second place about. It's not second place. And, and it's sad when people... When people you know get stuck on that, they call quitum smell clean like it's like a gate, it's like it's keeping me home. I'm homebound, I'm stuck, I'm supposed to be staying home. I don't want to be home, I want to be out. 
there's so much to do at home. In my Chel Mashir, right, I mentioned a few times that I say Chel Mashir, everybody can hear this, so those who speak only English probably won't uh, benefit much from it, but I, I say a story of Chel, a cute story, and then learn some lessons from it. So I just mentioned in the Chel Mashir this week about the anecdote about the two mothers that had the ch- children in the yard in a gated area playing, and one was always crying and kicking and wanting to get out, and the other one was always playing contently. So the mother with the child who's always screaming and kicking asked the other one, what's your trick? How do you get your child to just want to stay in the gate and, and play nicely? Mine always wants to run out. He said, listen, you probably told your child that the gate is there to keep him in. And he wants to get out. Nobody wants to be restricted. I told my child the gate is there so that nobody could come and disturb him from playing. The point is that when you're happy in your gate and you know what you're doing in your gate, and you're not looking to get out of your gate because there's so much to do in your gate, and you, you know, where you're looking to go, nobody feels restricted on an airplane that they can't get out in the middle of flying. You're protected. So if, a, if when a woman understands what she's doing at home, there's just, there's just you know, it's, it's, it's an opportunity and the obligation and the responsibility and the, and, and the credit for this wonderful job is, is, is tremendous. So waiting for your husband to come home from shul and helping him do his is also tremendous. And then doing your own is even more tremendous. And, and very often the fact that a woman has two roles, not just one. She has the role of being the best wife to her husband as well as being the best mother or woman that she could be. That's, that's two things. When you think about it. Somebody pointed out to me something very nice. A good friend of mine, Rabbi Badner, uh, mentioned me something beautiful about, about Surah and Avram and Surah. First, the first Yiddish husband and wife. Right? When you look at it, on the one hand, Avram Avinu was the one standing outside calling in the guest. On the one hand, he was the one that was running the show, let's call it, right? But on the other hand, we find that Hanev Shasha Usi Bukhuram, they both, the Avram Megayra Hu Anushim and Surah Megayra Hanushim. He was doing what he did for the men and she did what she was doing for the women. So she was definitely serving almost the same purpose, technically, in, in her circle. So she wasn't any less than him. But then when the Malachim wanted to know where she was, he bought oil, she's inside. She was doing her thing in her way, the way a woman should do it. But not only that, when you think about it, she was also cooking for Avram's guest. Now very many women get resentful. What do you mean? You're going to take the credit and run the show and, and, and serve guests and have to cook the food? Again, you're helping him do his, and you're actually doing yours as well. I'm sure she cooked um, a lot of food for the women as well. So a woman is definitely doing a lot... She doesn't have to try to be a man. She doesn't have to try to do what a man should be doing and being where a man should be being and talking to people that men should be talking to. Right? We find Miriam and Aviyah. Who is she singing Shia with? With the women. There are enough times that we find men, whether it was a Nuvi or a Melech, addressing men, women, and children. But the women were addressing women. So there's definitely a lot that um, women could do, whether it's talking to women or helping women or doing chesed or running a gemach for women. There's so much that a woman could do just as a woman in, in her own, own sneezdige and, and idler way. I'll just end off with this. You know, there's so many people going for help and talking to people and, and looking for someone to, you know, for guidance or whatever it is, whether it's therapy or other things. And so often you have women going to men or men going to women. I don't get it. I get the idea that you have to click with a therapist, not everyone is good for you, but there's a dime a dozen. There's only people out there who are looking to help you. If a woman is looking to go to a man specifically, and I've heard that, I need a man. There's something wrong with that. You need a man, go to your husband. You need a helper, find a woman who could help you. And same thing the other way around. You're a man, you need help, go find a man. Why, why are you, what are you doing? Somebody recently asked me a question about a certain mode of therapy that was actually quite inappropriate, you know, going to, that, that his wife was going to a, a male a practitioner for. Why? There's not enough women out there for that. So again, when, when men and women are trying to be equal and all of a sudden it's all the same and, you know, and then it could be a problem, but, but if men are men and women are women and we understand that and women try to be where women are supposed to be and men are where men are supposed to be and we don't mix things that shouldn't be mixed, it's definitely as good for everyone to be very happy. So when we, let me just end off with this, when we, when we make sure to have the sipic and the, you know, the good feeling 
whatever role we're playing, and we don't see things as a double standard trying to slowly be one thing, but then being restricted by the other thing and realizing that you know certain things are going to change, certain things won't change, and then, and then it looks like a contradiction. We could definitely try to do whatever we could do in the right way. We should try to be happy with who we are and what we're doing. You know, a man could get resentful why his wife is not uh, buying him presents without realizing that he, she's not obligated to. He's obligated to buy her a present before Yom Tov and things like that. And a woman could be becoming resentful about why can't I uh, run the show and, and, and do my thing and, and be out there. When, we, when we're happy with who we are and we do our obligations, our responsibilities in the healthy way that we should be doing it. And we help each other with what we could help each other, understanding that this is yours, but I'll help you with it. And this is yours, and I'll help you with that. I just hope this makes everyone happy. This is the recipe for Kika Chesh with the biggest Simcha. And with Hashem's help, this is something that could help us uh, definitely you know, live together.